This is the Education Gadfly Show. I, I did warn you well ahead of time. My schedule this week <laughs> for the Pope. So the Pope has upset my life this week, but I'm glad everybody else is happy about him coming. What does Gadfly say? This is your host, Robert Pundicio of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now please join me in welcoming my co-host, the John Hamm of Education Reform, Brandon Wright. How's it going? It's <laughs> a great Don Draper. Come on, you kind of have that look. Do I? I mean, you know, for those of us who I mean, are following along on television today, which is none of us, um, yeah, you've kind of got that little Take that as a compliment. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the funny thing about him is if you've seen him in any comedies, what I think he really wants to do is be a comedian, but really? he's just too handsome. So like, oh. like it just doesn't work, right? Like people who are hilarious have like something interesting about their look that you can't always pinpoint, but like he just doesn't work visually as a comedian. I, I can't even see that. It's funny. The only thing I've ever seen him in is that role. He's actually pretty funny. Is he really? And, yeah. And he might be one of those guys who is doomed to forever be, just be typecast as that guy. So. I don't know. He's been in a lot of stuff. I, I, yeah. Clearly, I, uh, for all the pop culture references we make here, I need to brush up my, my, my pop culture expertise. I've never seen him in anything other than Mad Men. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I think he really wants to be a comedian. Good luck with that. Hope that works out. Do we want to be comedians here? Let's hope not. I'm not that funny, I don't think, but... (laughs) Clara, you're funny. Start us off. Let's play Pardon the Gadfly. All right. Pope Francis is in D.C. How has public perception of urban Catholic schools changed since the last time a pope was in our nation's capital? I'm not sure when the last time the pope was in the nation's capital. Ten years. According to Mike, it was when we put out the last Catholic schools report, which I just saw online today was 2008, I think. All right. So. so the Pope is uh, here in D.C. Uh, snarling up traffic and administering last rites to the Net Washington Nationals. And, um, but uh, how, how <laughs> oh, thank you. Got to throw the Mets in there. I'm yeah. trying to be funny. Um, Although it will be bad if they're six and a half back and lose. Uh, There's only one team ever that's, then, that's, then be, that's ever done that. Pope for divine intervention. <laughs> but, you know, first of all, we, have, we need to start by giving just enormous props to our own Kathleen Porter McGee, who, when she is not here at Fordham, uh, runs a, uh, a small number of independent Catholic schools in New York City. And the Pope, for the first time ever, uh, is going to visit a parochial school He's visiting one of Kathleen's schools. How Very exciting cool. is that? Very cool. Very cool. Uh, on, the, on the other hand, I feel kind of bad for her because no matter what ha- happens for the rest of her life. <laughs> I'm sure she's very stressed out, too. <laughs> that, that, too. It was like, well, let me tell you, in 2015, the Pope came to my school. I'm not sure what tops that. Sure, sure. Um, but as much as I'm thrilled that uh, that, that he is uh, visiting Catholic, a Catholic school, Kathleen's in particular, uh, and, and turning uh, uh, the lights up on Catholic schools— I, I have to be honest. I, I, where was he 50 years ago? I'm not meaning this pope, but any pope. Uh, Catholic education was at its high watermark in 1960, uh, where there, when there was approximately 5.2 million Catholic school students. Guess how many there are right now? Uh, I don't know, a million? Uh, more than that, 2.3, but about, about half. Catholic schools, especially if you're from the northeast part of the United States, where I'm from, kind of built that part of the country. Uh, and I recognize that Kathleen and Andy Smarrick has a piece in National Review saying, hey, Catholic schools are innovating now, and that's great. But uh, I can't help but be a little bit sad. We've just lost something spectacular in this country uh, in, in the form of weaker Catholic schools, far fewer of them. And the conventional wisdom, of course, is that charters have replaced that. But you know what? I, I just don't know that you can ever replace 
the, the mission-drivenness of Catholic schools, the character, the values, the academics, um, you know, especially for low-income kids. Um, I, I'm just not sure that what we have now uh, replaces what we used to have with, with a far more robust Catholic education sector. Well, so you say that the number has dropped over the last 50 years, and you cite the number now and the number then. Mm-hmm. Has the number kind of gone down that whole time, or is it going well, back up at the moment now? Decline, but the irony, of course, is that the number of Catholics in this country has steadily increased. At about the time that Catholic school enrollment has been cut in half, the number of Catholics in America has roughly doubled. Now, yes, they have, it's probably a significant rise. I don't have the data in front of me, so maybe I shouldn't freelance this. I assume it's a much uh, higher percentage of, of very low-income uh, Americans who maybe can't afford even the modest tuition of Catholic schools, and that's why charters are stealing share from them. Uh, but it is absolutely true that we have more Catholics in America than we did 50 years ago, but far less attendance in Catholic schools. Well, to be a bit of an optimist, could it be that public schools have gotten better so people feel less of a need to pay even a word. small amount to go to a private school? No. Okay. All right. I just don't, I, at least if that's true, I challenge one of our listeners to show me that that's true. Uh, all it the was a, I've seen yeah. suggest just the opposite is true. Okay. So welcome, Pope, uh, and uh, have a great visit to Kathleen in school. Um, but don't be a stranger. Come back again and again and again. Catholic schools Except for the traffic. Except for the traffic. Question number two, Clara. Mayor Bill de Blasio recently disputed Berkeley professor Bruce Fuller's study that found those who most need early learning don't get it. Has Mayor de Blasio been successful in his, pu- his push to increase pre-K enrollment? You know, I'm, I'm going to look, take a look at this and write about this for this week's Gadfly, and I'm, I'm really tempted to, to, to title the piece something about how to widen the achievement gap. Because if you look at what Mayor de Blasio is doing, uh, he is creating, and we've talked about this in the podcast before, he's created basically a new entitlement, uh, universal pre-K. But what uh, Professor Fuller's data seems to indicate is that the kids who need it the most are, are getting it. I'm not saying they're not getting it at all, but they are far less likely to get it than uh, you know, modest income, but not the lowest of the low. Uh, and that's who really needs pre-K the most. If you look at the, the, the way that children develop language, uh, pre-K, you know, look, is never going to be a substitute for growing up in a home with parents who are educated and speak in full sentences and read every night. Uh, but that's where the, the battle is won and lost in terms of language proficiency is in the first four years of life. So uh, why are we creating in New York uh, this universal entitlement that goes to everyone uh, and, and the evidence that, that Professor Fuller seems to be uh, seeing here is that uh, those who need it the most are getting it the least. So if everyone gets it, wouldn't everyone get it? Uh, uh, was that a, it was a tautology, I think it is, a right? Um, no, right, right. If, if, if the complaint is that the kids who need it aren't getting it and the answer being put in place in New York is universal pre-K. Isn't that by definition giving it to everyone? So wouldn't sure. all the kids get it? That's the point. If everybody gets it, then nobody has a chance to catch up. And uh, let me, let me look at the, or cite the so, so, data. so the kids who don't need it shouldn't get it at all so that the other kids can catch up. Well, so I'm, I'm, oh, I'm actually, oh, I, see, oh, I see what you're saying. You're, 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 yes. Um, doing a little debate now. <laughs> well, I, and I don't have this data in front of me, but I believe that uh, Professor Fuller has also pointed out that a significant percentage of kids who are in the free pre-K either did or would have had a private pre-K. So basically you're just saving the, saving them the cost. Uh, but the number that jumped out at me is, is this one. Families residing in the poorest fifth of city zip codes 
saw just a 1% increase in registration of four-year-olds compared with school last year. Uh, so most of the growth from year one to year two is coming in not the bottom quintile, but the others. So it's available, but people aren't sending their kids there. Advantage of it enough. Uh, so then if you took the money that you're, that, that they are spending to give it to everyone, even people who would pay regardless, you could better spend that money to increase the enrollment of the kids who need it most. Sure, absolutely. Okay. And then the other that thing that concerns me, this has nothing to do with pre-K, but Mayor de Blasio uh, also gave a big speech last week uh, where he announced his priorities for education. And one of them was universal second grade literacy. Sounds good, right? My fear is that uh, uh, Mayor de Blasio and his chancellor, Farina, have kind of one flavor of literacy that they like, which I've written about deathlessly over the years, a program by Lucy Calkins of Teachers College, uh, the so-called Teachers College Reading and Writing Program. The only reason, Brandon, I'm still in education these days, after <laughs> teaching years and years ago, was I got so scandalized by what we were doing uh, to low-income kids in the Bronx where I taught uh, with this program that I kind of became you know, militant on the subject. So when I hear... Uh, that Mayor de Blasio wants to spend uh, $75 million, I think, in the next uh, couple of years on reading specialists, every alarm bell that I have is ringing saying, oh, no, please not that again. <laughs> and I have been over the last two days uh, calling and emailing City Hall or the Tweed Building, the DOE in New York City, to say, uh, what are you spending the $75 million on so far? No answer. Please return my phone calls, Tweed. Please do. <laughs> All right. Question number three, Clara. Intel announced that it will soon pull its sponsorship of the annual science talent search, which former President George H.W. Bush once called the Super Bowl of Science. How could this withdrawal of support impact America's brightest students, especially those interested in STEM? Great question for Brandon Wright, who is our house expert on gifted and talented education. <laughs> this sounds, but why would Intel do this? This is, this is nuts. They've had that, that competition since, since I was your age, young man. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, actually, Intel took it over from West, Westinghouse, Westinghouse in, in, I think, the 90s. Okay. Uh, but still, I'm, I'm not sure. But it does kind of seem like it's par for the course kind of in, 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 uh, in American education. Uh, we've moved so far away from actually focusing on our brightest kids. Right. Um, and so this just kind of goes along with that trend. Um, unfortunately, it's in the subjects that we need it most, STEM subjects. Um, and it's for the age group, high school, that's doing the worst. So if you look at the United States compared to other countries, our, our, our fourth graders actually do pretty, mm -hmm. pretty good. Um, and then when they get to eighth, they do worse. And then when they get to be 15, they do awful. Wow. Um, so I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. And um, it's just kind of like another nail in the coffin of gifted education or education of our highest potential, brightest kids, however you want to label that group of kids. You mean the ones who are going to hire my daughter in a few years when she gets out of college? Uh, yes. Yeah, those guys. Uh, yes. Please. Uh, and we should also uh, uh, plug your book with Checker Finn. You've got a new book out within the last week or two on exactly this. Last subject. week. Just last, last week. week. Congratulations. You're yeah. now a published author. And the title is? Uh, Failing Our Brightest Kids. There you go. It says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And that's all the time we have for Pardon the Gadfly. And now it's time for everyone's favorite. Here's Amber's Research Minute. 
I came down here for three days uh, and and found out that all of my Fordham friends and colleagues are going to be working from home yes, tomorrow. I, I did warn you well ahead of time. My schedule <laughs> for the Pope. So the Pope has upset my life this week, but I'm glad everybody else is happy about him coming. Yeah, so if the Pope wants to hang out in the empty Fordham offices, I mean, you're going to fire a cannon off in this place and not hit this anybody. Probably not a good idea with the Pope around. Probably not a good idea. Uh, Amber, what you got for us today? I've got a new study out by Mathematica. It looks at their latest results on KIPP. Oh, I read this. I'm glad you did. Um, so it's called Understanding the Effect of KIPP as it Scales. So Mathematica's had this contract for years to be mm-hmm. tracking the impact of KIPP. So uh, just a little bit of background. KIPP received in 2010 $50 million in an I-3 scale-up grant from U.S. Uh, DOE. So it got some money. Mm-hmm. And so now these folks are saying, okay, uh, how did that scale-up go? Okay, so track some of these students. Um, so basically, part of their I three commitment was to develop their leadership pipeline, which I mean, uh, I'm assuming it means hire a bunch more principals and train them, yep. and double they doubled their students from twenty seven thousand to over fifty five thousand by twenty fifteen. So by this year, so that was a pretty and big they jump. Overachieved, I think they've got like sixty thousand kids now. So they are really scaling. All right. Uh, The latest evaluation examines impacts at the elementary, middle, and high school levels, which we haven't had before. They've been kind of doing this in a piecemeal fashion. Mm -hmm. And again, as I mentioned, looked at the scale up. So I'm going to go boom, boom, boom at each level. Big highlight. Okay. So elementary level, they were able to use this random assignment versus this lottery winner and loser. I think we've all heard about this design before. It's this rigorous design. And they found that being offered admission to to a KIPP school led to an increase of 0.25 standard deviation on a standardized reading test. Mm-hmm. It was Woodcock Wood, Johnson. Woodcock Johnson, yes. yep. In math, the MPEX were also positive, equivalent to an increase from the 58th to the 68th percentile, which sounds pretty good to me. Mm-hmm. At the middle school level, okay, they used, again, they were able to use this lottery-based design uh, in, in most cases, not all cases. And they also have to use this matched, they use a matched student design where they design where they kind of match the kids on demographics and baseline scores. So not to get too wonky, but yep. they weren't able to use the lottery design for every single level. Okay. Both designs effect, right? still positive. Both designs showed KIPP middle schools have positive impacts on students, test scores in reading math, science, and social studies. So mm-hmm. all four core areas, uh, for instance, in science and social studies, both of them on average, KIPP middle schools have a positive impact of 0.25. So about a quarter of a standard deviation every single time almost. That's a big effect. And at the high school level, finally, last level, having the opportunity to attend a KIPP school boosts new entrance math scores. So these are the new guys that are coming mm-hmm. in that haven't been in, haven't come up for the middle school. Right. 0.27 standard deviation, which is still pretty good. Uh, increase, which they try to always tell you what that means in terms of percentile. So it's going from the 48th to the 59th percentile for the average kid. And then they look at the scale up. I'm really trying to like, it's a ton of stuff in here. It's really long. Uh, but anyway, for the scale up, the average impact of middle schools were positive for both math and reading throughout the whole 10 years. Right. Okay, so we're talking about 205 to 214, but it was a little bit higher in earlier years than in recent years. But it wasn't like terrible. I kind of dug into that a little bit. Right. Um, and then they looked at, and this will be interesting to you, Robert, they looked at all these non-academic outcomes at the end, which people are more and more interested in. This fascinates me. And student and parent survey data show that KIPP elementary and middle schools have positive impacts on school satisfaction. Okay, parents love those KIPP schools, but not at the high school level. Mm-hmm. Uh, high school parents are tough. Uh, KIPP high schools, however, compared to their treatment schools, have positive effects on various aspects of college preparation, like how often they discuss college with the kids. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. 
Oddly enough, though, across all grade levels, KIPP schools had no statistically significant impact on most measures of student motivation and engagement, behavior, or educational aspirations. And that right? fascinates Isn't me that because something? if there's anything that even non-wonks know about KIPP, oh, those are the grit guys. Those yeah. are the everyone must go to college right. guys. And, no, and then on the aspirational front, right. that was weird. But they found the measures were also high in the treatment schools. Right. One exception, which I note in the report, is the parents of KIPP school students are 10 percentage points more likely than the comparison group to believe their child is very likely to complete right. college. So bottom line, eh, it's a ton of information, but mostly all of it is good. I yeah, mean, you have yeah, to yeah. look hard to find the negative Sure. Takeaways in that report. And now, look, KIPP is, is one of those uh, uh, chains of charters that's always going to have their detractors and people who just don't like their flavor of education. That's fine. It's a school of choice. Parents like it. That's great. The, the question that I have is not how they did for the last five years. That's mm-hmm. your point. All good. How are they going to do for the next five years? Mm-hmm. In other words, they doubled. And I figured this out. They, they went from being, if they were a standalone school district, from being somewhere um now in the mid 60s so somewhere in between say el paso and boston in terms mm. of their size if they double again which i think is what they are planning to do in the next five years then suddenly they're as big as a top 20 u.s school district yeah, wow. at what point do you reach the talent speed limit mm-hmm. you know because uh those of us who have worked in the charter world will tell you you know the biggest impediment to growth is leadership that's what their yes. i3 grant was about was trying to find enough qualified leaders to grow uh, as quickly as they might is there a point where yes. you just can't find a talent Well, anymore? I can just tell you, this is my own end of one anecdotal story. Sure. Um, I'm on a charter board here in D.C. We are not one of these well-known brand name CMO types. And we're always commiserating that we are can attract or are losing right. teachers when KIPP and Democracy Prep come knocking on their doors. Right. Because teachers are proud. They want to be a part of these sort of na- you know brand name. It's sort of a... You know, it's a respect thing for them. You sure. know, it's uh, it's a big deal to be affiliated with these schools. So what they've been able to do in terms of attracting talent, um, you know, it's it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, uh, folks who are within KIPP will tell you that the goal is to create a true pipeline where they get they work uh, more with schools of education and whatnot. So they're not cherry picking, to your point. But mm-hmm. I, I just can't help but wonder. Let, let, let's make a note of this. Five years from now, are they still able to if they double again, will they still be able to to do so? And maintain quality. It's a mm-hmm. fascinating question. Yeah. I well, I think if anybody can do it, it's them. I mean, I think that they have this on their radar screen, right? Because these data bear it out. I mean, everybody I thought, I think when they hit those, when they double, they're mm-hmm. going to just tank. Right? <laughs> a lot of people thought that. But I mean, they, they've even rebounded a little bit. If you dig into the data, you begin to see even in the high growth areas where they experience a little bit of a lull, they're already beginning to bounce right. back. So, I mean, I think these guys are, are on their A game, you yeah. know, And um, but I, I think it's a great question because- you know, at some point you think there's going to be some tipping point, right, right where right. you cannot begin to, you know, keep up with the advances they've made and, and get the talent. So, yeah. Yeah. And if they get to the point where they are a de facto major U.S. school district and can still pull that off, then... Mm-hmm. then but, I mean, if you're sitting around your t- table around Thanksgiving, do most of your family members, have they heard of KIPP? Because my family members have, which because I, I asked them, when right. they're like, wow, when, when Joe Blow's heard of KIPP, that's kind of a big deal, right? Exactly. And five years from now, perhaps even more so. Yeah. Right. Uh, thanks, Amber. That's all the time we have for this week's Gadfly Show. Till next week. I'm Brandon Wright. And I'm Robert Pondicio for the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.